millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Art Detective with me, Dr. Yanina Ramirez. I'm an Oxford art historian, broadcaster and a writer, and I'm your chief investigator of images. Big one today. I was lucky enough to befriend Professor Mary Beard recently. I have always respected her from afar, but once we got to know each other, I respected her even more. She is rightly recognised as a shining light in English academia and indeed in the representation of women both on television, in the media and within our universities. I approached her because I knew she was going to be at the Oxford Literary Festival to talk a little bit about an art type that she loves, an art form that she loves and I was not surprised when she selected classical sculpture as the topic to be discussed. She covered the images that we're talking about in this podcast in an episode of Civilizations. But what was great in this interview is that we were able to probe deeper, to, to look into the sort of ideas, mythology that surround images of the female nude, really. It's cutting edge stuff because, of course, it's building on a long tradition of feminist art history that stretches back to the 60s, but it's being applied in new and exciting ways. I thoroughly enjoyed discussing this with her. Hope you enjoy the podcast. There's lots more to come. I am traveling all over the world at the moment and doing lots and lots of programs for the BBC, which means I'm trying to pick up, hoover up the most exciting podcasts I can wherever I'm going. I'm going to be picking up podcasts in Germany. I'm going to be interviewing Sean Greenley, the uh, Bolton Forger. Lots of exciting stuff to come. There are many ways you can help support what we're trying to do at Art Detective. You can follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Dr. Yanina Ramirez. You can also sign up to our Facebook community, the Art Detective community. So do find us on there. And the big thing we're trying out at the moment is Patreon. It's a chance for us to go ad-free so that you don't get those annoying ads that break up your enjoyment of whatever you're listening to. If you go to patreon.com slash artdetective, I really value all of the support you give to us. Hope you enjoy the podcast. So, 
very special day. I'm joined by personal hero. <laughs> now, which of your many titles should I use, Mary? Uh, just Mary, I think. <laughs> Fine. Fine. Well, I will, I will say Professor Mary Beard. Um, okay, darling. Well known to everybody for your magnificent work, both as an academic and more, more popular work. Uh, I particularly have enjoyed your Women in Power book and all the work you're doing at the moment for forcing feminism forward. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. We try. And that's what you're here in Oxford to talk about, isn't it? Yeah, I'm talking about, um, well, partly, I'm, I'm talking about women and power. Actually, sort of, where do we go from here rather than just looking back to the book? But then I am um, talking to Dim and McCulloch about Cromwell, so <laughs> there's not all that much feminism in Cromwell. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, actually, yeah, so you've got a, a diverse day today yeah, here at the yeah, Literary yeah. Festival. But I'm, I'm very grateful. I've swooped you out of the green room, room and, and asked you to do the po- Art Detective podcast because. Um, you are such an interesting academic in that you move outside of your discipline. You're a classicist, but you, like you say, you're doing Cromwell today. Uh, you present front row on the television. You have wonderfully diverse interests. And of course, when you recently did Civilizations, you were touching on art a lot in that, weren't you? Yeah, I mean, I think that I always have a foot in classics. Mm-hmm. So that, because I think um, you can't just say, oh, I know, you know. <laughs> Kings and Queens of England for me now. Um, I do everything now. (laughs) So everything I do comes from a classical perspective. And I think that that's that's quite helpful because I think otherwise you might just go off and talk about anything. So I think in civilizations, um, sure, we range very widely, but many of the issues that we isolated about looking and how you look uh, and how you think about how people in the past look that really came from from the classical world mm-hmm. and it was great fun to expand outside that and to see the differences and the similarities to take advice from other people to find out what experts in other fields thought but nevertheless coming from a Greco-Roman perspective. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, I share that as a medievalist as well. Once you have your foot in your research base, you make connections that, yeah. that range much more broadly. Um, yeah. and, and I asked you on the train coming up to Oxford today for an artwork that we could use. <laughs> I'm so sorry I sprang it on you like I did. I'm a naughty girl. This is like going into an exam when you haven't read the set book. You know, suddenly you think, oh, I'll get to talk to Nina about art detectives. And then she says, oh, but we're going to talk about an artwork. Yeah, pick one now. <laughs> Um, but so you did, did pick an absolute beauty. Tell the listeners what you picked. I decided that I would pick the statue that is supposedly the first full-sized female nude sculpture mm-hmm. in the Greek world, early 4th century BC. Now, it's, it's a kind of very interesting and a very elusive sculpture. Um, because the original was done by famous 4th century BC sculptor called Praxiteles and it uh, was once stood in uh, a temple in the little town of Knidos on what well, is now the Turkish coast but it doesn't survive yes so there is a, my kind of my art my, my artwork here doesn't exist <laughs> I like that. A virtual artwork. No, it, it did exist. It did exist. And it influenced, didn't it? And there are also, you know, I think hundreds 
of later versions. It became one of the really big tourist hits, tourist high spots mm. of the ancient world. I mean, the people of Knidos, uh, this little town, even put it on their coins. Yes. They were so proud of it. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we know quite a lot about it, although intriguingly and sort of frustratingly, the real thing has gone. We don't really know how it went. People think it was eventually taken to Constantinople to be part of the Byzantine Empire and then maybe kind of destroyed in a fire. But we, actually, it's a mystery. It's a real mystery. Yeah. But we do have all kinds of fascinating stories. Uh, first of all, about how it was commissioned. Mm -hmm. um, secondly, about how, in a sense, uh, difficult, edgy, almost outrageous. Yes, it right was. from the off, wasn't it? Yeah. And then um, we have wonderful ancient stories which give us an ancient version of the male gaze and you know uh, I mean, if you're as old as me you were you you thought that you know when you were in the 60s and 70s and you were reading um feminist art history yeah. <laughs> uh, and possibly watching john badger on the television <laughs> you thought that it was the modern world that had kind of invented the idea of the male gaze, mm. the idea of the possession of the sculpture, you know, the, and the, the, the naked female body in art being uh, something done for men. Mm. Mm. Um, but we were all wrong to think that it was new in the 60s. It goes back at least 2,000 years. <laughs> it's a, it was all that sort of viewer awareness that was yeah, coming through yeah. of how we feel suddenly yeah, under the yeah. scrutiny of an artwork. But it, it was it, it's so fascinating looking at the sources relating to these sculptures because um, Praxiteles made two, didn't he? And this is what's fascinating. Go <laughs> yeah. on, tell me about the two. I love yeah, this. Well, he's got two <laughs> He's right at the edge. I mean, there have been male nude naked, whether you say naked or nude, I don't know, there have been naked male statues full size in the Greek world for as long as we can see sculpture, going back to the 8th century BC, mm. but the women have always been clothed. And um, that's fascinating in itself, Mary, and I'll come back to that because yeah, we need to talk about this four-century delay in the appearance of the and female nude. You know, it's, it's one of the big mysteries of art history, actually. Mm. Yeah. You know, we kind of, you know, people talk about all sorts of big mysteries in Greek art history, like, you know, why does Greek art become naturalistic in inverted commas? You know, no one's ever been able to explain that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, why? Why they they started doing goddesses, because it's largely goddesses yeah. naked, yeah. is something no one has ever, ever properly explained. Unbelievable and such an important thing because yeah. I mean we could put it down to sexual pro uh, propensities what people were enjoying in a sexual way within the Greek world possibly or the treatment of the female within society couldn't we but yeah it needs exploring more for sudden but these two then so yes, what I love anyway, about this go on yeah. tell the two yeah. is the, the avant-garde artist here yeah yeah and he's yeah. got two he's got two Aphrodite's He's, got He's just knocked up two enormous sculptures over the last twenty-five oh, years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one's got clothes on and one hasn't. Mm. And it's the island of Kos that gets first choice because they're the first commissioners. Gosh. And they look at these and they think, oh, blimey, we can't, can't have a naked one. <laughs> so they choose the clothes one. Um, and that leaves over 
for the other uh, eager customer, the town of Canidos, 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 um, the naked one. Yeah. Well, they don't get much choice because that's what's on offer. Uh, and of course, the joke is that the island of Kos made the stupidest decision. Yeah. Because Canidos, which gets the naked Aphrodite, the first naked Aphrodite, uh, has got itself its tourist attraction <laughs> for the next 600 years. Absolutely. So this this town manages to secure its reputation, as you say, even including it on the coins. I mean, it yeah. becomes a yeah, Statue of Liberty type thing, doesn't it, for yeah. that area? But, but what's really fascinating for me is the pose. What we can deduce from the sources about how she looks. So she was probably contraposto, wasn't she? Uh, which is that sort oh, of sideways. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm an art historian. Yes, I, this is the natural <laughs> sideways pose of the body. Um, and then she, but she's, she's got her cloth coming off her, which is this yeah. sort of idea of undressing, isn't yeah, it? But, well, it's, it's kind of unclear. It's unclear exactly what the original was doing, but, it, but from the copies, mm. I think it's, we can be pretty certain that what Praxiteles was doing was finding a way of giving an alibi to the naked sculpture. Mm. Um, so, so she's not just standing there say look at me naked it is as if we have found her in the midst of an activity which would make that nakedness seem obvious yeah. so she's certainly got some kind of pot this is all to judge from the copies she's got a pot next to her feet and she's got either a cloth or a dress or a, a, a towel yeah. so it looks as if she's sort of we've we've come across her by surprise in the act of her taking a bath. Yep. So yep. we've not she she's not displaying herself to us. We have, oh my golly gosh, found <laughs> the goddess just as she's finishing her bath. I mean this is it's repeated again and again in art and it is it's it's pornographic in the sense of the titillation of the viewer. It's there to be uh, you are the peeping Tom. You are the one that has discovered the naked goddess when she doesn't want you to. And even the way we see in later versions, she covers herself, doesn't she? As yeah. if it's like, oh no, don't look, look at, at me. me. Oh no. And yeah. it is all about that, isn't it? Sort of reveal, conceal. And it's, you know, it's the great fun that the artist has of saying, I'm going to show you something you shouldn't see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and just how kind of, you know, just how dangerous is that because mm. I am going to I'm going to invest my full uh, artistic expertise in creating a vision of something you shouldn't be looking at wow I know I know and it's it's that's what made it such an attraction I think as well isn't it and, and there's lots of accounts of people going to see it yeah. I told you I was going to ask you about the stain yes. <laughs> do please well, tell them about the stain it, it became this is the, the stain is where we we join up with the male gaze <laughs> yeah because it was it was clearly a tourist attraction people came all the time yeah. but there's one really amazing account which you know, actually exposes the sexualization of this statue um, written by someone who now goes under the very unlikely title of pseudo Lucian <laughs> which is that's because this manuscript was found bound up with the works of a second century AD satirist called Lucian great no one thinks it's by Lucian so <laughs> we call it pseudo Lucian right? and he was like uh, a pseudo in a and name it's, um, it's part of a, a 
a treatise really about sex. It's called Erotes. Right. About sex. And it's a dialogue in, as these treatises often are in the ancient world. And it in part of it, these guys fetch up st- talking about sex all the time oh. at the town of Canidos. And they go to the um, uh, uh, the, the temple mm-hmm. of Aphrodite to see the statue and it, what you need to know is that one of these is a guy who we would call gay right. but yeah. I think that's that's kind of anachronistic he he is very into the love of boys and mm. I mean boys uh, there's a heterosexual and a celibate <laughs> and, wow. uh, and <laughs> that sounds like a joke the heterosexual and they go to the they go to see the statue, and and um, the, the celibate is very busy being a celibate and kind of peering at the marble and being an art connoisseur, right? While the uh, heterosexual looks at the front of the statue and says, "Oh, you know, you can see that this is, you know, this is what's really, you know, this is where it's at." <laughs> While the the guy who is into the love of boys, and that's the, I'm not. I'm not hyping it up, that is the Greek term. Absolutely, yep. Um, looks at the back and is, um, and while they're engaged in this slightly odd activity, um, the, the celibate says, my goodness me, you can tell this sculpture was really clever because there's a, there's a little stain on the marble here, <laughs> but it's been, been hidden just sort of the top of her thigh at the back. Yeah. And how brilliant. And <laughs> meanwhile, the elderly lady caretaker has been listening to this and says, um, it's not a, it's not a natural stain in the marble. Oh my goodness. Uh, and she says, do you want me to tell you how that happened? <laughs> and they say, yeah, yeah. And she says, well, there was once a young man who was fantastically in love with this statue. So in love that he uh, contrived to get himself locked in the temple at night so he could have his way with her. Uh, and so he does that. Uh, he gets her, but she's marble, so he leaves the mark of his lust, oh as we goodness. would say politely, yep. on the uh, back of on the back of her thigh. Good grief. I mean, the thing that this all highlights, doesn't it, is the, I mean, it's awful in, in many ways in terms of the possession of the female form. Uh, and it is a long-running theme, isn't it, with sculptors and artists that they can create the perfect female form and breathe life into and it yeah. becomes their possession. Yeah. But but there's something even darker here, isn't there, which, which is that she's being attacked. Yes. It's, I mean, Aphrodite is being attacked. Yeah. Um, she's being owned by this yeah. guy. Now, the interesting thing is it all goes to the bad because uh, uh, he, he runs off and he goes mad and he throws himself off the cliff. Of course he does. That's what this poor... Yeah, so this boy realises yes. he's, he's found like, out, yes. doesn't he? And then he throws himself off a cliff, so of it's, course, yeah. You know, so it's, it, it, nobody, come, <laughs> nobody comes very well out of this story. Um, and, of course, they go on arguing, you know, on Greeks because, um, you know, the... The uh, the heterosexual says, "Oh my goodness me! Look, it just shows that even a woman in marble can arouse somebody." 
And the the gay, the guy into the love of boys says, oh, but look which way he was entering her. Oh, for heaven's sake. You know? so, they got, so it doesn't kind of solve their problem. But it, it just seems to me that when I was a, when I was a student, I suppose, insofar as we were ever taught this story, mm. which I have to say wasn't much, um, we just thought of it as a kind of weird tale. Yeah, this is this is the kind of weird things that ancient Greeks say about sculpture. Isn't that weird? Mm. And nobody ever, and I didn't make the connection then, but nobody ever pointed out to us the connection. That, look, in in their terms, what they're doing mm. is talking about what we would call the male gaze. Absolutely, and I mean, even it, it crosses into so many different areas, doesn't it? As well, because what has happened there is that Praxiteles has made a hyper-realistic form, so realistic, so perfect that it resembles a, a real woman. So it's a reflection of his artistry, but it's a deity. This yeah. is the form yeah. that the deity would take when it enters the temple. Yeah. So there's this very multi-layered sense of possession yeah. of the female. Not only is this boy attacking the artwork, but he's sort of going for the goddess, goddess. isn't he? Yeah. Am mean, I misinterpreting? Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's wonderfully layered story because it's about sacrilege, it's about yeah, what yeah. realism and art is, it's about um, all these debates you can have about the boundaries of proper uh, sexual activity. And we really did it in injustice in saying, oh, just a little, what a funny story about that man who tried to sleep or did sleep with. Sleep with, that's a bit of a euphemism. <laughs> well, violated a statue. Violated, <laughs> violated. Well, you know, you could say he raped the statue. Yeah. That's what, he's, that's what he's done. Yeah, yeah. And I think, again, it's, it's interesting when you look at the history of art, um, obviously classicism, it, it, it hangs so heavy over all future Western manifestations of art. Yeah. And, and at the core of that is this realistic representation of the figure. Yeah. And then there's this danger zone, which is yeah. when a figure is too realistic. That's right. <laughs> you, can't ever, when, you can't ever contain it once you've made a figure that, in your own conventions, it's realistic because mm. you know, hang on, you know, figures aren't made of marble, and you know, but, but it's polychrome too, isn't it? We have to well, remember that it would have been probably we polychrome. assume that it was painted. How painted it was, mm. <laughs> that's certainly it, it, it would be um, unthinkable for it not to have been in some way painted. And they are strange when you see classical sculptures painted. I think it's still a shock to students mm. when I take them to the museum and go. Honestly, the colour, they would have had their cheeks painted in, maybe their irises coloured, maybe yeah. some hair painted in. Yeah. And it's, it's sort of all whitewashed now, isn't it? Yeah. And of course we like that, you know, very much. You know, if you, if you show a group of students, you know, you know I'm passing the buck here, if you show a group of academics <laughs> a, a load of pictures of, of unreasonable restorations of the of the tonality of ancient sculpture, they'll think, "Oh my God!" I know, right? How garish! How, How garish. garish! Yeah, always and, and medieval too. I mean, yeah. so much colour is yeah. lost from the past, yeah. and and it is. Yeah. It's a garish and and upset, unsettling oh, thing. Because we're sort of Protestant yeah. in our tastes no, now, aren't we? I, I still think that the jury is still out a little bit for mm. quite how garish okay because i think the people who are very into color and they, you know they must in a sense be right um but in a sense part of their fun is to make us say oh no, yeah right? exactly okay. <laughs> and you know when you look at say roman poetry mm. 
Mm. And they talk about marble, marble purity, do, do, don't they? Yeah. Yes, that's they, a good point. And so there's there's more to this than meets the eye. That's really way. interesting. There's lots more work that needs to be done for sure. Um, I, I mean, I think that we could talk endlessly. I know you have to get off because you are on due on stage in the Sheldonian very yeah. very soon. But there are so many wonderful things that we could discuss further. The the male gaze in particular, I think, is we'll have to do another one, won't we? Well, let's we do will. another one with a big and bottle of wine between us yeah. oh, and have even bigger, <laughs> even bigger than the one we have. <laughs> yes, we shouldn't give that away. <laughs> we are nursing a glass of wine out to detective listeners. Um, such a pleasure, Mary. I hope to see you again really, really soon. And if people want to follow you, what's your Twitter handle? Oh, it's at WMaryBeard. At WMaryBeard. And you can follow me at, at Dr. Yanina Ramirez. Yanina spelled with a J. Also, why not consider becoming a patron of the podcast? You will get access to loads of extra exciting things. Um, Mary, it just remains for me to say thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Let's do it again soon. Let's. Let's. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.